Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. I am back from Arizona. I had such a lovely weekend there. I got to meet so many podcasters, so many different people, women, non-binary women in this space. I also got to spend some time in the Jewish community in Phoenix, and it was just so lovely. But hey, guess what? It's so great to be back and to be able to implement all the amazing things that I've learned in the sessions that I was taking at the conference. Honestly, it was so fun to be able to speak and to share all the things that I've picked up over the years of podcasting to help people monetize their smaller podcasts. Now that I'm back in Philly, I'm so excited to be working on my next season of episodes for The Francisca Show. I'm also looking for a name for you guys. So I want to be able to name the audience so you feel included and a part of a community that we're building here because so many of you are reaching out and I'm setting up a way for you to be able to send in voice notes that I can play to you in the beginning or end of the episodes. And I'm also working on other fun things to create more of a community within the podcast. Also, as always, if you have any feedback, requests, or interesting subjects you'd like to have discussed on the show, please do reach out. And now that I'm back, I'm also working on four music albums this year, as well as music videos, as well as my podcasting business, which thank you so much for referring podcasting clients to me, people who are starting out, people who want to monetize or grow their podcasts. Joelle, our guest this week is a dancer who became a therapist. She has experience working with law enforcement, ex-military, and entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today with us, we have Joelle Miletus from California. She is a psychotherapist and post-traumatic stress slash disorder, in air quotes, expert. Welcome to the show, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I love your background very much because it's very unusual. And I would love to just have a little bit more hands-on information on what it's like to be a military child and how has that affected the career you chose for yourself? I have an interesting story because I grew up in a military family in the sense that my dad went to military school. My grandfather actually had my father very late in life. And so was a World War I veteran, if you can believe that. Lied about his age, did the whole thing, right? I grew up in a home where people, that was their background. I wasn't necessarily a military kid. You know, my dad didn't wear uniform, wasn't deployed. So it wasn't, I, I think in retrospect, it, as much as there was some cultural components for me about that, um, it's very different than I want to say people that grew up where they were being, you know, moved every two to three years, or they, you know, had a, a parent that went through multiple deployments and in, in war, and and that wasn't my experience. I grew up with more family members telling war stories, so to speak, right? So I think a lot of it was disconnected. You know, and then just being in 
I think a California on, on the West, I want to say a West Coast reformed Jewish home. I don't know how else to put it, right? There, there was this very, very interesting component too about, well, I had cousins that were going over and, and doing their Israeli military obligation and then coming back to the West Coast. So it was just this very weird conversion of military life. And I definitely wouldn't say that I had a typical like military child experience. I don't think mine was typical at all. I didn't start off to be in this career. I was a dancer by training. I did that for 22 years professionally and then went, oh, therapy sounds good. And I actually don't know what it was about being a therapist. And the way I fell into working with trauma and, and PTS was my own stuff and my own background with trauma. And I think I joke and say, you know, only crazy people go to psych school because why would you do that much therapy on yourself? Like it's just years of studying therapy and doing therapy and being in therapy. And I say that with a lot of love. So for me, that was really what I was interested in was I was interested in trauma and PTSD I was interested in eating disorders and I'm a ballerina by training, so you can draw the dots. And then the military thing I fell into and it ended up being my people. And I don't know how else to put it. It just made sense. It made sense because I understood my father more. I understood my my family members more and I could relate to that. It's, It's not a linear progression of steps of how I got to being an expert in the field. Well, often that is a sign of True growth is when you have to search or you have to get signs from your life to see what's happening next instead of knowing you're going to be a doctor from the age of six and just following that linear path. Besides for working with military clients, you work also with police and law enforcement and startups. So I'm just curious, as a Jew living in California and with all the stuff that's been going around how has this affected emotionally the law enforcement? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and about a year and a half ago, my team and I had some really big heart-to-heart conversations about how do we do the work we love? And that's really working with people who have repeated exposure to trauma. And so I, as much as I work with military law enforcement, I work with a lot of women. I work with a lot of women in tech and people who have had pretty significant trauma. So a lot of it was, how do we do this work and be forward-thinking and be inclusive and support people? And, you know, in San Francisco Bay Area, that, that's a very diverse group. And law enforcement is a very diverse group. And so a lot of the people we started seeing were people who were, you know, I, I, like you just said, you know, I knew from the time it, that I was six, I wanted to be a doctor, right? Like a lot of these people came in and said, you know, I've always wanted to be a cop. And, and now I don't know if I want to be a cop anymore because I don't fit the box that people are seeing on social media. I don't identify that way. I'm LGBTQ or I'm female or I'm a combination of multiple different things, right? Different religion, different ethnicity. I don't fit this model and I identify more with people that are really struggling to have their own rights and recognition, not so much being a cop. And so all of a sudden now we were talking about not just work trauma, right? Or exposure to really horrific things, but this internal 
grind and trauma of what, what was it like to do the job when there was a huge backlash and backlash coming from family and friends, not just social media. So it, it was a really interesting problem. And for me, it was how do I support people? I love working with people and all kinds of people. And I wanted to keep that inclusivity component. It was so important to me. So looking at how do we do this work in a time that's really difficult right now, you know, emotionally, politically, socially, and what was that going to look like? And and like you said, a lot of self-growth, right? A lot of introspection of how do I stay on the positive side of that? It's been a challenge. I mean, in no way has it been an easy, an, an easy transition. Have you had any clients that have affected you in a way you didn't expect? I know with your training, you are trained <laughs> to not take home the trauma and the horrible things that happen to your clients. But there's always that one story or more than one story that deeply affects you. And I'm curious if you had something like that. Yeah, I think it's every day. I mean, really, I, you know, I, I joke and, and say I'm such a perfectionist that I have to give myself permission to make a minimum of three mistakes a day because then I don't feel so badly when I make them all the time. I think my clients are like that, though. I, in clients I've, I've seen once or I've seen for years, they affect me all the time. And sometimes that's a weakness in my job. And I do take it home, which is not doesn't make for the best therapist because I connect and I try and show up and just be myself, right? And, and meet people where they're at. And so I think in order, in order to do that and give so much of ourselves to people, especially people in need, we do take it home and they affect me. And sometimes it's in great ways. Sometimes it's in not so great ways. And it highlights all of the terrible things that, that I think about myself, right? Cause I'm just human. I'm not, I don't, I don't have it all dialed in. So is there one particular story that stands out? Yeah. yeah. Just a couple of days ago, I had a client who I've worked with for a really long time and I see them not every week anymore and uh, got a call out of the blue. And this person said that, Hey, remember, remember my childhood friend we were talking about a couple of years ago? I said, yeah. And, and they said, Oh, well, she had another baby. I'm like, that that's great. And she said, well, she's been dealing with postpartum and she's like, and I know you had that, right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. She goes, well, can you tell me what it was like for you? So we started talking about what that was like for me. And, and I said, you know, what, what's bugging you? What happened? And she goes, my, my friend jumped off a five-story building two days ago and I don't know how to not be angry. And all of a sudden, my my own stuff was just like, oh, there, there it is, right? It's it's all there. And I said, you know, we're talking about 21 years ago for me. And at the time, it was considered baby blues. Like, there wasn't a whole lot on this yet. And my mother-in-law and my, my family and my children's family, you know, aunts and uncles, people just said, you know, you'll get over this, right? It's, it's going to be okay. And they would come over and they'd open all the drapes. And the minute they left, I shut them all down again. And I had no idea what I was dealing with and how bad I felt. So I'm talking to my client who's in the throes of having lost a best friend to suicide because of postpartum. And I'm like, okay, don't talk about myself. <laughs> right? right? 
but it it was though it's those moments where we're talking about their experience and their trauma and sometimes what they want to know is what's it like for me and in therapy that's a really difficult piece because we're trained well you don't talk about yourself and my experience with people is is that's the last thing they want right what they want to know is well how did it affect you what 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 what's your story and so the more we were talking through this, I kept saying, is this helpful? Like, I know I'm talking, like, I feel like I'm talking about myself so much. Is, is this helpful? And they kept saying, yeah, because it gives me some perspective. I couldn't understand why they just didn't ask for help. And a lot of the times is it's not that people don't want help. It's they're in so much pain. They just want the pain to stop. Right. And I could relate to that. I could understand that. I had a very different story and clearly a very different outcome. That's the piece that they wanted to talk about in therapy was, I don't want to be angry. And I'm so angry. It's like, well, of course you are. This was traumatic. Why wouldn't you be angry? You know, it's okay to be angry. You know, so what do you want to do about it? Not so, so what, who cares? What does that mean for you? So have things like that happen to me all the time where every day someone will say something. And a lot of times they go, well, did you ever deal with that? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, sometimes it, the answer is, yeah, I, I can relate. And there are other times where it's like, no, I can't relate at all. And so what does that mean? What does that mean if I can't relate? So stories, yeah, I have clients that affect me that way. I had a client a couple months ago, come in and say, Hey, I tried this app. Have you ever heard of, heard of it? And I went, no. And they're like, I got to send it to you. Like, awesome. This is the best thing ever. I love apps. And so, you know, sent me this thing and, and I started working through it and it was really funny. And so the next week they, they said, did you do it? I'm like, well, I'm the one that assigns homework. They're like, yeah, no, 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 no. But did you do this thing? And I said, yeah, I did it. They go, did it help? And I'm like, you know, it actually did. So <laughs> clients are clients are amazing. I think the universe and and with my own spirituality, I think I'm given what I need to work on every day. I have people come in and they highlight my strengths and my weaknesses and my blind spots and all of these things that that I need to work on to be a better mom, better therapist, better partner, you know, better human. Yeah, it's unique. I I haven't heard therapists talk the way you do <laughs> about how you embrace your work. You you treat it like a real relationship and not only professional. And that's beautiful. It can probably be very confusing. <laughs> I'm very curious to go into you mentioned you were a dancer, professional dancer for 22 years. Can we talk about eating disorders and yeah. Does that ever end or is it something that's dealt with on an ongoing basis for the rest of someone's life? Yeah, there's a lot of different opinions. For me, I look at it from an addictions model. That's my my dissertation was working with broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma and from an addictions perspective. And so I look at it from that framework where Food is not a luxury, drugs, alcohol, Afrin, Kleenex, smoking, candy, whatever, right? You don't have to have those to survive, right? You have to have food. And we show love, right, with food, especially in my culture. 
you know, it's all about, you know, eat, 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 eat. I made this thing for you. (laughs) And it's love. So for me, I don't think it ever ends. I think what happens is we, we can become very good at working through almost all of it. And so for some people, when they're aware that they might have long going triggers, right? Sometimes family are triggers and family meals are triggers. And so working through that and, and maybe I have a slip every once in a while, but I get myself back on track. And so for me, that's my goal is always working with people of, of getting myself back on track. So I don't think it goes away. I think it becomes manageable. That's comforting to hear because often somebody struggling with something and they think they'll go to therapy and then they fix the problem. But what really happens is we learn about tools and then we learn how to use these tools throughout our lives so we can deal with this ongoing issue that with food, you have to deal with at least three times a day, hopefully. And people's eating disorders, I mean, there's eating disorders and there's disordered eating, right? And and one is this idea of disorders is it affects your daily life and living. And so that's that can be different than someone who has disordered eating. I have that, by the way. <laughs> disordered eating? Yes. Here's the thing is I don't actually buy that people don't. Well, my husband sort of does. He views food as fuel. And for him, sitting down for lunch or dinner is like going, pulling up to a gas station and you eat what there is and you fill up and it doesn't matter what, how it's presented or what the texture is. He happens to be picky and he's very healthy, but for him, it's a means to an end. And I'm the opposite. If I'm not excited about what I'm eating, I am not interested and it complicates things. When people go to therapy, you know, you were talking about earlier saying just this perspective of having a relationship with somebody in therapy. I think that the magic of that is that it's a healthy relationship with appropriate boundaries. People don't call me to talk in between sessions. You know, they don't text me. We're not, we're not friends. And so it's a very contrived relationship. And at the same time, being able to have it be an honest one, I think for me is the magic of doing therapy. I think the relationship with food is similar, right? We create these constructs around food and it gets in our way. And so for some people like your husband, you know, he sits down, he's picky, but he's got like, he's got a mission. He knows exactly what he wants. He's healthy, right? Like it's not his thing. Maybe maybe there's something else that he has a harder time managing. And so I think that's, that's what I mean with this idea of disordered eating of people have these constructs and they come from all sorts of different aspects of who we are and what our makeup is, right? And what our backgrounds are. And my family was definitely one where food is love. So that can get confusing. I think sometimes the magic therapy is going in and just talking about that with somebody real, not hiding behind a clipboard, you know, can can help resolve some of those things. But I don't know, once you're picky, are you always picky? Maybe. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, it doesn't matter. Like, does it affect you or does it, or is it just, that's just who you are, right? I don't know. That's definitely something to think about. What are some of the therapies or the tools that you use to help people heal through trauma? 
Yeah. So there's a lot of different modalities. And so, you know, the disclaimer I always give people is find a really good therapist that you like, because there's a lot of different modalities. And sometimes it's not the method, but it's the person that you're talking with. So having said that, there's all sorts of things. There's things that are somatic based or body based. You had a guest on one of your podcasts talking about how the body holds trauma and what that actually means when you do that and the people that then you call into your life, right? So that's one approach, this idea of somatic work. We have skills-based work, which is more traditionally what we think about. That's a CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy or DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a very how I think what my cognitive process is creates my behavior or vice versa. My behavior creates the way that I think. Um, so there's that those kinds of approaches. And there's something that is EMDR, which is a process, a reprocessing therapeutic model. And, and your guests might know that because Prince Harry was just on Oprah doing EMDR. So that's all the talk right now. <laughs> there's a lot of, so there's a lot of different ways to, to combat trauma. Um, I think it depends on what kind of trauma you're talking about. And for me, I don't have a one size fits all model. I'm, I, you know, it's always, Hey, try this thing. If it worked cool, if it doesn't work, it tells me it's the wrong theory. Let's try something else. So I don't know if there's a one size fits all. So I'm very eclectic when it comes to to working with clients and and a lot of my clients, since you you know you're talking about stories, I'll, I'll tell, give you a story. A lot of my clients come from having done a lot of trauma work with other therapists, and they stall out, which is not unusual. My clients stall out, and then I send them somewhere else to do other work. It's not uncommon with trauma because trauma is so deep. So I have a client that that did a lot of EMDR. Is that with psychedelics? So no. So EMDR is one, what they call bilateral stimulation. So again, if, if your listeners saw the, the Oprah show, they saw Prince Harry doing this butterfly tapping, which is you cross your arms in front of your chest and then you tap rhythmically one side, then the other while you're talking about things. And the idea is that your brain gets stuck and it just loops in the trauma. And so when you have this kind of like bilateral stimulation where some people use tapping, other people use lights, some people have you follow their finger. If you think about the old style of hypnosis, this is not hypnosis in it at all. And what it does is, is it allows the brain to reprocess or reintegrate the traumatic experience. So it has nothing to do with medication. There is lots of medications for trauma and some of the newer stuff is working with psychedelics. That's so outside of my field. I'm not an MD and I don't work with psychedelics or drugs. And, and it's just not my scope of practice. In California, we have some pretty strict laws on, on what we can and can't do. But EMDR is, is more about what they call eye rapid movement desensitization. So it's about the stimulation. So some people use a light vibration. But it works. You know, anytime you're, you're anxious or nervous, if you just cross and, and tap your shoulders right? You'll notice that your breath work starts to, your breath starts to change and you calm down a little. And then a lot of times, you know, it's like, okay, take a deep breath. You can start to really control the way that you are holding your energy or holding your anxiety. That's an example of some trauma work too. The psychedelic stuff is fascinating to me. I don't know anything about it though. I I just know with deep trauma, 
they are collecting new research and I think it's very expensive, but I heard about it on a podcast. In California, there are some institutes and I think UC Berkeley has one where they're doing some trial studies. Actually, believe it or not, the VA, the Veterans Administration, has several different clinical trials for PTSD and working with MDMA, mushrooms, ketamine. So there are some really informed research studies out there. If that, that's of interest to somebody, they can find that that's done in a clinical trial with a doctor and, and it's done in a healthy way. So there, there's lots of good, good stuff out there. It's just not one of the things that, that I work with. I would say that's probably the last resort, especially because it's a clinical trial. <laughs> you have to be accepted into it. And there are lots of steps that can work for people first. Yeah. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk, put on your entrepreneur hat. I know that you've scaled your business and you are not the only one in your practice that sees clients. What was it like from somebody starting out as a performing arts uh, person, then transferring into the helping profession and then realizing that you can do more. And what was that like for you? Yeah, it was a hard transition. I, I know you're you're also an artist. So you <laughs> artist to businesswoman, as you know, is not that is not an easy transition. And then this last last year and a half with COVID was was also very interesting. Moving everything into to telehealth and and being in this arena was was a big change. I did not start off to be a therapist. That was not my calling. My calling was to be a dancer. I wanted to do it since I was three and that's what I did. And then all of a sudden I had young children and being in Silicon Valley and paying the rent on a dancer's salary was not going to work. So therapy sounded interesting to me and I had already done postgraduate work. So it was a very difficult transition for me. I started the company so I could pay my mortgage. Um, I had two little kids and that that was the focus. I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know. I had no background in psychology other than I had been to therapy and I wanted to help. And that, that was the one piece. And then just starting the business to be able to be a full-time mom and then work when the kids were at school or at practice or, or doing whatever it was they were doing. And so that was the beginning and never did I think I'd get to, to where it is now, which is we have a clinic in three different, actually, we're just moving into our fourth state. So we have a clinic in four states. I have a director of personnel, a director of marketing, and then I have clinicians that work for me. And that was not the plan. And so it's a great question because the honest truth is, I have no idea. I have no idea how I went from the one, the one thing of like, I just need to pay the rent. My parents lent me $600 and I bought a couch. I know that's so cliche, but that was what it was, you know? So I opened up the practice in, in April with a $600 couch I borrowed from my folks. And, and then here we are. And, and we have, you know, this clinic that keeps growing and, and I love it. I mean, I, I love the mentoring piece and training new new clinicians. And, and I love working with trauma and it ended up being my calling, but it, it certainly didn't start off that way. The business side, I have learned so much of, I love mentoring. I love teaching. I love podcasts. I do not like day-to-day -day personnel management. It is not my thing. I'm not good at it. 
So when you're talking about like stories and the things I've learned from my clients, I, I, I have a very strange Silicon Valley practice. So I work with Apple, Google, Netflix, Facebook, LinkedIn, like the, these are my people that come in and they're amazing managers. And every day I come home and I'm like, I, that it's not my thing. It's okay. <laughs> but training new therapists is they come in and, and they're, they're so excited and they're so overwhelmed. And most of them, this is their calling. And so it's really fun to, to get into the weeds with them. It's really important that you brought this out in the conversation because for so many people, it's such a big hurdle to think of them as changing hats and going from somebody who's an artist to somebody running a business. But the goal is to just do the parts you're good at in your business and not have to embrace everything business about the business. You can actually delegate all of that and you should, but you can still magnify your impact and keep doing what you love. Yeah. And that was a not an easy lesson for me that, you know, I went in like, ah, how hard is it? Yeah, I could do it. It's not that big. No, it was a really big deal. It was really hard. No, I wasn't good at everything. And it's funny because as, as a therapist, I don't think I'm good. Like, I don't think that I am the best therapist for everybody. I have a very strong personality. I'm directive. I have a completely different approach and that doesn't work for everybody, nor should it. Right. And so it was really funny to have one approach from a therapeutic model of like, I know what my limitations are and who I'm good working with and then who I'm not good working with. And then from the business model, I'm like, eh, how hard is it? I, I, you know, I've started this business. I've owned a business. I'm this woman entrepreneur. I'm strong. I'm independent. I can do. And then, it, and then coming to the realization and my own growing edges of like, wow, no, I actually, it is hard. And I, and I don't know how to do it and I need help and I need the right people to help me. And identifying what that is and not a day goes by that I don't wake up and forget that, oh, I'm not going to the studio today. You know, that that's so much of who I am. And that still is a hard transition, even though I, I've been, I've, I've been doing therapy since, you know, 2008 and I haven't been performing since 2011. And I still forget that that that's not me. And so it's very hard. It, it, and it doesn't feel like it should, you know, quote, should be, but it is. Do you ever walk into a dance class? I love that question because I'm such a perfectionist and I'm such a chicken. And <laughs> part of it is I have to learn how to get over myself to go take a class. COVID was great because I could take classes and be off camera and start to ease into it. And I think it was, how do you go from being a professional and being at the top of your game? to being a student again, where I wasn't trained, and I won't speak about you, where I wasn't training. And, you know, I was no longer in it to, to do that as my job. I dance in the kitchen all the time. I dance in the market. <laughs> I, I, anytime there's a song, I'm moving. I can't stand still. The kids make fun of me. It's, it's quite entertaining, but that is my goal. So my goal before 2022 is to go back into a dance class. I don't know what kind yet, but that that's something I put on my list of, all right, this is a must do. Well, I applaud you and I hope you do it because it's amazing. I can't end this interview without bringing up the fact that some of your clients work at some of the 
big splash brand names out there today. And I'm interested if there is any commonality. And obviously, we're all humans and we're all dealing with the same issues, whether we have fancy companies we work at or self-made startups. What would you say some of the interesting commonalities are coming out of Silicon Valley? You know, one of the things I, I love, and it's, it's unfortunate that it's come from, from a COVID tragedy. One of the things I love is the acceptance of people just showing up. And so I don't think I've seen a, you know, the, from the eighties, right. Or nineties, a power suit, power tie, power, like, I don't think I see that anymore. I see people just showing up. And that's changed. Um, the acceptance that people aren't just employees, right? I'm not just an engineer. I'm not just a developer. I'm not just an architect, right? Whatever it is. I'm a partner or a spouse or a parent or, you know, a child of a parent, right? Like people are starting to be real. And, you know, we're all struggling with some of the same things. You know, the dog's barking and I'm on a meeting and the kids are running around and, and, for me in Silicon Valley, you know, Google Home is going off saying, hey, don't forget you have a two o'clock and the kid has got 215 Taekwondo online and the Amazon packages are being dropped off. Like, and, and it's just absolute insanity. And that's not a me thing anymore. That's most people working, working over Zoom. And so that's a change that I think is going to be beneficial where People are starting to be the equation, not the... Their performance. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of them being your clients, are there any commonalities? People going... I think that's it. I think that that a lot of times people come in and they come in with, with, this is who I am and what I do, right? My job is who I am. That's the change, right? Is discovering their identities. Yeah. And and they're they're doing that outside of therapy. And so that's the the commonality where a year and a half ago I have people that come in who are, I'm a police officer, I'm a mother, I'm a, a dancer with eating disorders, I'm um I work with special forces, special operations teams. I'm one of, of six in California that is a true civilian that works with some very interesting people. I'm a blah, 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 blah. And now people are coming in and they're like, oh my gosh, my life is insane. Like here are all the things that are happening. And so they're not wearing this hat anymore. It's just now a part of who they are. It's not only who they are. So that's the change. And that that's the change that I'm seeing across all, all of the industries and the people that I see with my clients. I think that's definitely something good. We're going in the right direction. There's hope in humanity. Thank you so much, Joelle, for coming onto this podcast. Where can people find you? Thanks for asking. So it's my name. The website's joellerabomolitis.com. So I'll spell it J-O-E-L-L-E-R-A-B-O-W-M-A-L-E-T-I-S. I know you'll drop it in your show notes. Yeah. That I'm happy to always respond, respond to emails, ask questions. If you're looking for something in particular, I can at least point you to the right direction. We always have things to give away and, and stuff to talk about and people can see. So thanks for asking. 
Thank you for sticking around until the end. I hope you enjoyed this show. And if you did, make sure to tell a friend about it and go check the backlog. Listen to some other episodes. Also, if you know anyone who needs help with their podcast, launching, producing, monetizing their podcast, please do send them my way. I really appreciate the business. This is how you support the show. Also, make sure to go onto jewishcoffeehouse.com and check out the incredible podcasts and content that's being produced for you. I hope you have a great week. You know how to reach me. See you next time.